because I think you're right. You've hit on the thing that kind of draws them all together is Walter's role in each of these people's lives as a parent. everyone, and welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. We are so excited to have you all back. I'm excited to be back with Jackson talking about another great script in a very exciting quartet of episodes. I seem to recall that previously I couldn't remember the word quartet, and that almost just <laughs> happened to me again. In the same yeah. spot where I was talking about four, and I was almost like Quartrain, Creo, Quartrain, like, Quad. I got it. I got Squad. It. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. If you are just tuning in, or if you're tuning in in the future sometime, uh, not in the uh, kind of ordinary path of our season, um, we are just finishing up a themed month. Um, this themed month has been old scripts. No, dang it! I do it oh, every so time. Cl- <laughs> it's the last one. <laughs> New chats, old scripts. <laughs> At this point, it's a tradition. I almost had to do it. <laughs> and last week, uh, we also brought in one of our other hallmarks of our season, which is the special guest episode. If you haven't tuned into that one yet, it was a great episode. Um, uh, Jacob, you sat down with uh, someone you knew from your, your theater world, yeah? That's right. Yeah, I had a great conversation with Michael Legg, who's the artistic director of the Montana Repertory Theater and a professor at the University of Montana. He was around the Humana Festival. In fact, it was sort of one of his major projects at the Actors Theater of Louisville. And he was around the Humana Festival when the Christians was part of that festival, was a new play commissioned by the Humana Festival before it had its incredible success. Uh, So we had a great conversation about kind of the early days of the Christians about uh, Lucas Snaith's process of developing it, about the things that we both love about that script. If you haven't checked it out yet, it's just one episode back in your feed. Scroll back and listen. This theme month are are for short episodes. They're 20 to 30 minute conversations. So it should be a quick listen and you'll learn a lot if The Christians is a play that you like about how that script came to be and some of the things that... It and the relationship of Les Waters, for example, in directing that play. I mean, it was just fascinating, and it's a script that I'm just over the moon in love with. So it was great to come back to it, to talk about it again, and to learn so much about it. Yeah, it's a great conversation. If you haven't had the chance yet, definitely go back and check it out. I'm excited to be back um, uh, after a week away and to get to delve into our last script of this themed month. And we're returning to just a great play, a play that we had a great conversation about last time, excited to kind of approach it from a new perspective. We're talking today about Between Riverside and Crazy by Stephen Adley Gerges. Yeah, so this is the second Pulitzer Prize winner that we are returning to in our themed month. We began with Dinner with Friends. We're ending with Between Riverside and Crazy for a little, a nice little circle around. Uh, this is a play by Stephen Adley Girgis. Stephen Adley Girgis is probably one of my three favorite living playwrights. I think he's just 
absolutely incredible. And this is a, a fantastic play of his, one that he richly deserved the Pulitzer Prize for. Uh, he probably could have gotten it for a number of his other incredible scripts, but it's good to be back to this one. And, and we are back because last time we talked about this episode, we discussed for you a theater company that we often reference as much as we can uh, in our conversations. That company is the Los Angeles Theater Works. They're a, a fully-fledged theater company company in Los Angeles, but also one of the things they do is create really high-quality audio recordings of plays with a really nice soundscape, with really, really good performances. And we have found over, what are we in season nine now, that many of those audio recordings are just so fun to listen to. And they're sort of the next level on from reading because you can listen to them while you're running, while you're driving. You know, it's not really, you don't really necessarily required to go seek out a theater, sit in a dark room and watch a play. Uh, so it's somewhere between those, right? But you still get the performances of the actors, the interpretation of the text. So last time we talked about the LATW performance of Between Riverside and Crazy, which at the time I had listened to, and now in our new chats, old scripts, final episode of this themed month, we are coming back because Jackson has joined me in experiencing this incredible audio play. I have re-listened to it, and we're now we're here. Yes, yes, exciting to get to talk about it. Um, uh, as, as Jacob said, we love LA Theater Works. We love getting to kind of listen to the plays and kind of move one step closer to hearing how some of these lines can be said. So so especially in a play like this, which is so deeply involved in family and water under, under the bridge sort of relationships, it was really great to get to hear it um, uh, and he hear it actually spoken out. So I'm excited to get to jump into the conversation. No, absolutely. And and th the plays at LATW are only $5. I mean, it's so yeah. affordable, too. $5, you get the full recording of the audio play. I just save them on my phone. And then, uh, I mean, I've listened to so many of them now. They're great running material, biking material, driving material. Um, there's nothing There's nothing better than listening to a play whenever you can. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a big podcast audiobook person, too. So this just slides right into my daily regimen of consuming audio material. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're, they're, they're not a sponsor of this episode. We're just like fans, basically. And so we're yeah, excited to- If you to know somebody there, <laughs> tell them how much we talk about them because maybe- they And we talk about them frequently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, hey, uh, speaking of, we are asking everybody to just think about heading on over to Patreon. Our Patreon page is patreon.com slash no script podcast. All one word, no hyphens, no underscores, no script podcast. And over there, you become a supporter of the show. We are incredibly lucky, incredibly blessed, incredibly grateful that we have a great community of financial supporters over there, and their financial support makes doing no script possible. We intentionally keep the costs really low. We're sort of interested more in the crowdsourcing model. And in that model, we have a tier that's like a dollar a month, $12 over the course of the year. And even at that level, that is so incredibly helpful to support the running of this show. We love to do it, but you know, a weekly podcast where we talk about a new script every week, there's a fairly significant time commitment, but the time commitment aside, there's a financial commitment to running a 
podcast in this way that wouldn't be possible for Jackson and I to do without the folks on Patreon. So we're so grateful to those folks who are supporting us over there. If that's you, thank you. If that's not you, just think about it. We really feel like the $1 a month tier is a really uh, accessible way to support the show and that you're definitely getting that much value in return for the time that you spend with no script. It's just a dollar a month. Think about it. There are higher tiers. If you can afford more, that would be super helpful, super, and we'd be you know, grateful, but the $1 a month tier really on its own is just fantastic. We're so, so, so grateful for the folks that are supporting us over there. Patreon.com slash no script podcast. You can check us out. That's the easiest way to find us over there is just doing that URL. Patreon.com slash no script podcast, all one word, no hyphens, no underscores. Check it out. There's some stuff over there that you can see if you join uh, that, uh, you know, some unique benefits for patrons, of course, but the big thing is becoming a supporter of running this show, which we need and, and the folks over there make happen for us. So thank you to those folks. If you haven't yet, please consider checking it out. Yes, super big thank you to everyone who has already headed over there. And we'll see you over at patreon.com slash no script podcast. And now back to the script. There we go. I just kind of stood off of that. It's 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 back to being your line. Um, so. Wow. Okay, we're not competing every episode anymore. I get nope, my hackles nope, nope. up as I come to I, the end of the day. Here we go. Who's gonna do it? What's gonna happen? <laughs> uh, we are gonna jump into the conversation here. Uh, these these uh, uh, new chats, old scripts, conversations. We're doing condensed versions of them, so we're not gonna synopsize it. This play, we're not gonna contextualize it as we normally do, because we already did that. We already did that the last time we chatted about this script. Um, you can find that uh, part of the conversation on in uh, season eight, episode one. Just kind of scroll back a little ways. Uh, it wasn't one that one that long ago, last season. And, and uh, we you'll will find also it. have a link to the old episode in the show notes too. So you can scroll down and click, and that should take you to it as well. Make it easy for you so that you can, uh, if you want to kind of re-familiarize yourself with the script, just like listen to the first 10 minutes of that episode and you'll be back back on the same page. Um, but yeah, then we're just going to jump right into the conversation around this production and the new lens um, that we've gotten to uh, uh, experience it through the LA Theatre Works production. Yeah, I, I have to say, first of all, that although I, I already had listened to this particular LATW production, I, I actually, Stephen had the Gyrgyz productions, I tend to listen to more than once. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to the LATW recording of The Motherfucker with the Hat. First of all, that play is just so good. I mean, it's just yeah. so good, and the recording is just fantastic. Uh, so so I, I had already listened to this one in particular, but I'm always struck when I listen to Stephen Adley Girgis plays at how effective the language is in in the mouth or, or spoken aloud, right? And that, that should be true of plays in general, right? But it's just not. We know that. Some playwrights are better at some things. Some playwrights are better at others. But Stephen Adley Girgis has just a wild knack for writing things that when people say them, are just infused with power <laughs> or incredible yeah. comedy or incredible tragedy. And you just, even you should be, you know, just you in your home, pick up a Stephen Adley Gergis script or look one up online and just like read one of the chunks of text. I think you'll feel it. There's just something about the way he writes that's so effective to say out loud. 
Yeah, yeah, and it just just packs such a punch. I think in our last conversation, we we spent a bit of time around the line because it pleases me to do so or something oh, like that. Um, yeah. It's just like such a good line um, uh, that that uh, Walter says when he is uh, trying to trying to negotiate the taking of the wedding ring from uh, uh, Audrey and Dave. Uh, and and yeah, there's just so many lines like that that just kind of knock you out, come out of nowhere. And the the cast of this production did a great job at making those like highly dramatic scenes really pack a punch yeah well in this cast too i really felt like they captured the characters that steven adligirgis writes in such a cool way even vocally i mean steven adligirgis characters sort of by nature are kind of wild big personalities that's it's just kind of what he does and he does it almost better than anybody and to, to capture that without the aid of costumes, without the aid of the physicality of your body, to, to capture a big personality, a big characterization, the kind of thing that can make you picture this person in your head very clearly, just with vocal quality, speaks some to what I just talked about with, with his lines, just the way he writes the dialogue. But also just, I mean, kudos to this team, this this cast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so especially for me in the listening of it, I really appreciated uh, John uh, uh, John Cothran Jr. I apologize if I didn't say your last name right. His uh, uh, portrayal of Walter, um, who yeah. can be read on the page as somewhat as of a curmudgeonly person, um, and and uh, certainly there is aspects of him that are curmudgeonly, but uh, but 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 in this production, he just like had this like richness to him he had this playfulness to him like scenes where uh either when he's talking with uh lieutenant caro or with the church lady like all both of those scenes can read as like very cantankerous beginnings um that either lead to full-out anger towards lieutenant caro or the gradual warming up of of uh of walter to the church lady um but but i felt like in all of those scenes walter had this like really like intentional drive to engage well with people even if like in a scene later he'd be talking about them behind their back and and uh saying like boy i can't believe this person's coming over again or something like that no yeah he he really infused a warmth towards other people into the lines which i i think is really important to the character one of the things that struck me listening to it this time was the way in which all three of the people that live with him or, or as Waldo only lives with him for part of the script, but the way in which those three all call him dad and that you learn, yeah. I mean, with, without any sort of visual cues on how, uh, how alike they look, if you don't know the play, you sort of figure out early in the scene that Oswaldo is not actually his son, even though they open the play together. And then, of course, Lulu also calls him dad. And then, of course, his own son for sure calls him dad. But I, I have to be honest that he, he never I, – I don't think in the text – just as it appears at face value, he's all that warm and fuzzy to them, right? Like, there's <laughs> right. not a lot that makes you go like, these people are so affectionate towards him that he call, that they call him dad, despite the fact that they have no biological relationship with him at all. And in fact, are just, you know, have something to do with Walter's son. But when you when this actor, when this particular actor played Pops, this is the only production I've seen, uh, he, there's, a, there's such a deep warmth even in the sort of curmudgeonly text that you do mm-hmm. sort of get the idea of how much he must genuinely care for these people 
uh, even though you know it doesn't it, it doesn't sound like it all the time. Yeah, yeah. The, a couple of moments really stand out to me in in that conversation. Certainly, the moments with uh, Lulu and Oswaldo. There, there are multiple moments in those scenes where either when Lulu's talking about being pregnant, and he kind of immediately says, "Oh, this is so exciting. Let's 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 do this." Um, the moments with Oswaldo, where Oswaldo is able to confess difficult moments about his his meeting his own father, his and 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 how that's going to work. Even the way that uh, uh, Walter. Uh, helps him through the night at first when he arrives drunk and eventually beats him up trying to get his credit card. Um, there is this like really genuine like like warmth and care about him. The other one that kind of surprised me is his conversation with Junior in the uh, after he has his heart attack. Um, lines like um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna paraphrase it quickly if I can think of it. Lines like uh, if if I tell you that I love you, will you leave me alone or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> that that on the page again has this flavor of like boy you're a curmudgeon like this like it's not even and, worth and it certainly to you. <laughs> could be played that way right like an actor yeah. could make that a much harsher sentence than this particular actor did but in this this particular way that scene i felt like just so infused with the connection that they have even though it's estranged that there is still this deep um, a connectedness between the two of them that they're trying to navigate even as they navigate the real difficult nature of their relationship and 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 how it's it's kind of dysfunctional in a lot of ways. Yeah, I wonder, Jackson, as you were listening through, if you felt the same. I, I for this time of of encountering the story, I'm, I'm not sure ever before th this relates to what, what I brought up about everybody calling him dad. I'm not sure I ever really before picked up on how much this play is about parenthood or or the mm. relationships between parents and children. I mean, it may be one of the few things that ties all the strands of the story together. I mean, there's this bizarre strand of the story about Oswaldo that doesn't really resolve itself in any fashion. There's the story of Lulu, who may be pregnant, may not be pregnant, may decide to have an abortion or something during the course of the play. And then there's this whole plot with the ring. And they can seem unrelated other than that they all involve Pop in some way or, or Walter in some way. Uh, but if you think about them somewhat on the thematic or or the the sort of big ideas level that there's a a relationship of all of them that is about the nature of being present in someone's life as a a sort of wise authority figure, right? In the most general sense, a parent, a, a person older than you who you go to for advice and emotional comfort and even at times physical support. And and Detective O'Connor very much has that relationship to Walter. And I think that's a line that I have missed before is when she emphasizes over and over that she wants him to walk her down the aisle. I mean, he yeah. plays that role in her life as well. And that becomes, for me, the thing that starts to pull this play together. It's a play about racism, for sure. It's a play about the problems in policing. It's a play about power. It's a play about all that stuff. But it's it's also a play about parenthood, about about being in someone's life in that way. Yeah, yeah, and that I agree that that particularly came out in this production. I think the way that that we in our in our previous conversation we kind of talked about 
all the stuff that is going on in this play. And like, and, and there's just so many side, not even side, but like integrated, um, uh, secondary storylines. I can't even really call them secondary. Um, because, because I think you're right. You've hit on the thing that kind of draws them all together is Walter's role in each of these people's lives as a parent, even though as, as, as he is kind of, uh, uh, lost, lost his wife and had this substantial injury, his, his role in that capacity has diminished to some extent. He still has this kind of core thing about him that yearns to take care of the people in his life well, which he ties in the script itself to him kind of reacting against his own father and how his own father did not take care of him yeah, very well at all. Point. Yeah, his father just left, never met him. Yeah, yep, never met him. And so he kind of lives his whole life as a, uh, uh, I will not do that to my people. Um and so he he lives in that way, and and it, and it really comes out in this production. It really makes a couple other kind of lines that popcorn around land in that theme too. Audrey has an interesting, almost parental relationship to Junior every once in a while too. There's a couple scenes where um, uh, later in the play, when uh, uh, let's see, uh, Lieutenant Caro is is kind of just ranging around trying to get uh, Walter to sign the document that he needs him to sign. Um, he threatens Junior, threatens that he'll arrest Junior, and Junior comes in and says, what's going on in here? And Audrey is one of the people who turns aside and says, everything's okay, everything's going to be fine. And in this production, I, like, actually believed her. <laughs> like, she kind of turned turned in, like, it, even as uh, Lieutenant Caro is kind of freaking out and threatening Junior, you get the sense that Audrey will never let that happen. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I also think thinking about this play in a, uh, as a, a, whatever, thinking about it in terms of parenthood, it it helps me understand the ending somewhat. Do you recall the last hmm. line of the play? Uh, is, is is that the line about, uh, I think it's uh, Walter saying there's, there's orphans somewhere, right? There's orphans somewhere. There's people yeah. without parents somewhere. I mean, it, it mm-hmm. it's always been a sort of bizarre ending to the play for me that that the play ends with him giving the church lady this ring and, and she finally admits in the very final moments of the play that it was all kind of a con, but he's sort of totally fine with it. And I was never quite sure, actually still I'm not, how much he believes that she's actually going to use this ring to help people versus to just pawn it for, for money for her. So I don't, I don't know exactly what he believes is going to happen there. But if I, if I kind of look at that moment through this lens, there may be a world in which you say, this has become a moment of Walter taking care of people. And this line, there's orphans somewhere may refer to the church lady herself may refer to this sort of band of characters that are around him all the time that are, you know, in some ways, basically orphans. Oswaldo being a very prime example, he's not actually an orphan, of course, but his father is so abusive that he might as well be, right? He's forced to live other places. And we know from the end of the play that Oswaldo eventually moves back in, despite having attacked Walter in the middle of the night. So I think that I don't have a very fully formed thought about it, but as I started thinking about this play as a kind of parenthood play, weirdly, despite the fact that of course it's got all this other stuff going on, I, that the ending did seem to pop a little bit for me that the final line is a reference to orphans. 
Yeah, yeah, I I agree that in this production, I I uh, I went back and listened to our conversation from the last last one, and we kind of like talked around this moment just a little bit towards the end of the podcast, and kind of wondered at how much he really cares about <laughs> what what where the money is actually going. Um, and it was so clear in this production that he really cares. <laughs> um, and that even even that the sort of revelation uh, of the church lady to him. That there are no orphans in this production, there was a, a distinct pause in that moment where it wasn't just like, "Yeah, I knew all along that you were playing me a little bit, and I still trust you." It was like, "Oh, hmm," and yet I'm still committing to this, um, and I'm still committing to trying to uh, give you the possibility, give the church lady a possibility to join in the work that I have been trying to do with my whole life <laughs> to take care of these people well. And, and the, the, the weight of that was so significant in this production. The way that last line is delivered really kind of connected it to, he cares a ton about this, and he's chosen to trust her with this uh, kind of joining in the mission that he views for his life. Yeah, this production, I totally agree that the actor really infuses that final line, which is something to the effect of, well, there's orphans somewhere, with a lot of weight and significance. And you would say, oh, well, it's the final line of the play. Of course it should be. And that, to, to some degree, you would be right about that. But I think I've always read it as a more uh, self-aware, witty, uh, 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 I yeah. know you're tricking me, but take the money anyway kind of line. And that is certainly not how it is delivered in this production. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it I think it goes a long way to justifying uh, the way that the church lady is played in this production, too. Because there's also the sense in that scene where it's like, you know, you, your, your con worked. You got the ring. What is it that, like, makes you confess in this moment? Um, and, and, uh, in this production, at least for me, in my listening of it, the answer was just the earnestness of Walter consistently throughout their interactions. He has this earnestness in conversation with her. Um, and, and that is like doubled down on in this last scene where he brings her a ring worth thousands and thousands of dollars, um, that, that is really kind of personally gained by him, um, and entrusts her with this, this mission. It, it like, added so much hope to that ending for me at least that that he still like even though she confesses even though he knows suddenly that she um has been conning him this whole time he still says i still i still believe in you i still believe that you'll make the right choice with this and so we're just going to move on with the choice that i already made to trust you and just live <laughs> try, try to live well into that trust that i've given you yeah, I also sort of wonder, I'd be interested to see it in in person because I think you could maybe communicate this a little better physically than you can vocally. But if he's talking about her, yeah. you know, I don't know what he knows about yeah. her and her particular situation. She certainly seems like the kind of person that would fit right into this band of strange folks that wander <laughs> in and out of Walter's apartment throughout the play. But here's what I'll say maybe as the kind of final subject for us. Conversely... In a, in a play that's about Walter taking care of all these people so selflessly, even as he doesn't appear to be that kind of person at face, which is a, a fascinating, interesting character, he does, I mean, the 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 way that the Audrey O'Connor uh, the, the Caro scenes go down with the ring, they hit home. I mean, I, I, I think I waxed poetic about them last episode too. They're so well-written. I mean, <laughs> holy crap, yep. those scenes are so well-written. But boy, he, I mean, he goes to town on them. 
Yeah, absolutely. Those scenes are just, uh, we talked about it, we talked about it before. Excellent prop negotiation, excellent goals, excellent opposed goals, um, excellent uh, uh, kind of uh, conflict around uh, uh, who who belongs on whose team, especially uh, with Audrey kind of caught in the middle between Walter and Lieutenant Caro. Um, and, and all of those scenes just really, really popped in this production, especially the, the last one. The last one stands out particularly in my mind, but certainly the, the dinner scene uh, initially Initially, um, where, where eventually it becomes clear that they came there to try to talk him into signing this settlement. No, I, I yeah, I totally agree. And there is, there, to some degree, there's so, kind of a sense of like, like you could sort of imagine, let's say, like a middle schooler at basketball camp who like hit a <laughs> bunch of shots and they're feeling really good and they come home and they go to their parent and they're like, I could totally beat you at basketball right now. Right. And they go out to the backyard court and the parent just trounces them. <laughs> like 18 to nothing, just destroys them, right? I kind of get yeah. that feel like the to whatever degree Lieutenant Caro believes that he's a stellar poker player who's ready to take on, you know, the the potential sort of father-in-law figure in his his fiance's life. Again, we don't really know why she why O'Connor doesn't have a parent who would walk her down the aisle uh, different than her partner or maybe she does and she just prefers that her old partner do it. We don't know any of that. But we know that he that Pops fills this sort of father-in-law role for Lieutenant Kara. The scene where they show off the ring very much feels like they're showing it off to her, you know, biological parent or her guardian through her whole life. So there, there, there is that role, right? And to whatever degree Lieutenant Caro thinks that he's a negotiator and a poker player ready to take on the father-in-law, the, the, the big boys, right? To go head-to-head yep. -head with somebody who's done this his whole life. He gets trounced. I mean, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely bamboozled. Yeah, both both in just like the like what he loses to gain what he thought he wanted, and also the the his poker face, right? Like uh, partway through that last scene, he <laughs> Walter just slowly um, pulls out of him all of the lies that he's been telling, including that his father wasn't a cop, um, but is in fact, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just it's just full of this like realization that uh, that Caro does and not have what it takes too, to that, go right, up against him. One of the him. lies he pulls out, you just said about his father. If we're looking at this play through sort of a parent lens, like the one of the major reveals in that negotiation scene is that he's been lying about Lieutenant Caro has been lying about his father and who yeah. his father was and is this whole play. I mean, when you start to look for it, I was amazed how much it appears. Yeah, it's 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 just all over the piece, and yeah, those 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 scenes really like there's again like there's so much happening in those scenes, and it really like it pays off to read the play, to listen to the play, to get to go and see the play. And each time you get to engage with it, I feel like another rich layer unveils itself because there's so many different ways that these characters are all in conversation with each other, all pursuing their own goals. And to just see it once uh, might, might only let, like give you ch the chance to like delve into one or two or maybe three of those particular uh, just rivers of, of great drama that are in this play. 
Absolutely. That's the time we have for this conversation. I think this has been a great month to revisit four really spectacular plays to to talk about them from these different angles, from these updated perspectives. Uh, Theater is amazing in the way in which you'll see different productions or at different moments in your life. And the the same play, the same text will speak to you in a, in a totally different way. It's one of the amazing things about this art form. And it's been a pleasure to experience that in just this little way. Yes. Yes. It has been a great month. Um, excited to also then like one of the fun things about this podcast is that we just like, we, we take such like turns and get to like meet such different scripts on a, on a weekly basis. So it's been great to have these conversations, a chance to reflect upon plays that we've, uh, already talked about, but have new perspectives on. And now we return to, uh, the kind of end of our season programming. Um, we have a couple more weeks of this season left. We'll go back to kind of the normal process of talking through a whole new script and excited to get to do that starting next week again. In the meantime, though, if you've enjoyed this conversation, this re-conversation, this conversation again um, about Between Riverside and Crazy by Stephen Adley Gerges, and you want to continue it, uh, uh, we'd love to keep talking about this play with you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. Please go to any of those sites, and we'd love to talk talk with you. We'd love to facilitate a space for conversation around these plays and uh, all of the social media sites are a great way to do that. So we'll see you over there. Absolutely. If you've liked this episode or any of our other episodes, you can check us out on Podbean where we're hosted on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or YouTube. You can also find our episodes. So seek us out there. You can also like us on Facebook and a link to the new episode can appear in your feed every Monday when we publish. As Jackson said, we are nearing the end of the season. So keep an eye out for the last couple of plays of this season before our regular winter time break. And we'll be back in the new year for a new season. So until next week when we are talking about another script, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script the Podcast.